know, we have consumers and clients leaving us crying, you know, so excited that this exists and, you know, willing to tell all their friends, what car wash has that? Whether it's a change in the sensitivity to diagnosis or whether there's actually something happening in our culture, in our society, in our genetics, the rate of diagnosis of autism has absolutely skyrocketed in the last generation or two. It's alarming to a lot of people. Today's guest, Tom Dieri, had a little brother who was diagnosed with autism when he was three. Now, Tom and his brother are actually like grown adults right now out in the workforce. And that's actually pretty unusual to say that they're both out in the workforce because what Tom shared with me is that once people with autism, you know, what he called age out of the system, whether it's education, all sorts of services, at a certain age, generally, you know, early 20s, late teens even, all these resources and programs of support no longer become available. And you're kind of left on your own. And something like 90% of people living with autism end up unemployed. So he wanted to change that and at the same time create some sort of vehicle to let the community know that autism is a condition, but the people living with autism, they're real people with real feelings and amazing abilities and to contribute to the world. So he and his dad actually tried to figure out a, an interesting business to start to create these things. They ended up building uh, both a venture that serves the community, and one of their first actual businesses is a car wash, and they realized that that actually fit extraordinarily well with the skills and abilities that somebody living with autism had. The car wash exploded and at the same time brought both local and national attention and really started a conversation around autism and introduced the local community to the fact that, hey, these people are not all that unlike you. They are different in some very meaningful ways, but at the same time, they're beautiful human beings. Really excited to be able to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tools. Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight-up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Really good to be hanging out with you. Actually, uh, your your story is really fascinating. So I'm psyched to sort of go into and explore a little bit. Let's kind of take a step back, and then we'll take a big step yeah, forward yeah. to what you're up to. Tell me about Tom the kid. <laughs> Tom the kid. Um, I was like a chubby, unathletic kid for like the first half of my childhood. Kind of really lived in my own imagination. Mm. Did, had some friends, but wasn't like overly popular. Uh, and then I got really sick actually when I was I guess 11 fifth grade mm-hmm. I think that's and I like ended up losing like half my body weight was oh my out God. of school for like six months what happened um, it ended up being actually bacteria in my lower intestine but they thought it was Crohn's disease uh-huh. um, but it, it was misdiagnosed so that was the reason why it took so long to fix because right. it was I was misdiagnosed so it was like C. diff in your intestine or something like I, yeah, I don't know I just okay. pretty much couldn't hold down food for oh. like months well like, the good news I guess was that it was bacterial because <laughs> yeah I know it wasn't lifelong <laughs> it's like good news so, bad news yeah, yeah, yeah exactly it ended up not being so bad and it actually was a transformation in my childhood because mm. I went from 
from being like overweight and not really athletic to give having a second chance like okay well i can kind of build my body up differently now and really taking that and you know you, you gain a lot of toughness as a kid when you go through something like that and so from there i actually went from being like the unathletic kid to being like one of the most athletic kids in my class okay no how old were you i was i was 11 at that point and then um, through middle school, I was like captain of all the sports teams. So, do, do you remember sort of like consciously making the decision, saying, "Wait a minute, like I, I'm 11 years old, I have a fresh start. Like, let me do this totally." I do. I remember my dad telling me, saying it to me, he's like, "Tom, he's like, you know, this was awful experience, but here you go. Now here's your chance to change, you know, and change it." And he's like, "I know you. you I wasn't, you know, I didn't feel good about myself, so here's mm-hmm. a chance to feel good about myself." And you know, I loved baseball, and I got really good at baseball. I loved football. I started getting really good at football. And, and that really kind of just changed the course of my life. I then went to Catholic high school because of four sports. Made the best group of friends I possibly could have. The guys who are now living down with me in Florida and building this business with me, my, my friends from high school. Mm. And really, that was, you know, I got to really experience um, something that most people don't get. And, and I got to... Really, the the best thing about it, besides the fact that like I, I got to kind of re you know transform my body at such a young age, the the mental toughness of of understanding like how to get through a hard situation when you're so young, like my parents had no idea what Crohn's disease was. I had no idea what Crohn's disease was. I thought it was going to be like this life bound illness that w- could was really affecting. You know, I couldn't eat, you know, for for really couldn't consistently keep down food for for a couple months, mm. and that was you know. And getting through that and then getting to, you know, I felt like I could do stuff and I could conquer stuff. And that has helped me through you know, my whole life. Yeah. And to learn that at 11 years old also, you know, it's yeah. kind of, it kind of makes you grow up a little bit faster also because you're kind of yeah. like you're struggling with stuff that your average 11 year old kid doesn't struggle with. And you're kind yeah. of like, all right. But I mean, also just the fortitude and the insight to, to take that and then come out of it and say, okay, I'm... I'm physically a different kid than I was six months ago. And, you know, I'm sure you were a lot weaker and a lot, but but at the same time, you're like, huh, this is, this is a really interesting opportunity to actually, to to be able to to put on those glasses that says that this is an opportunity to, to change it. It's really powerful. So, um, it also kind of says something about your, just your approach to life from a very early age, which is basically like (laughs) nothing's going to stop me. Yeah, it's it's funny because my dad is like the most like driven and big personality you'd ever meet. He started from from nothing. He built three successful businesses. He's a real like tried and true old school entrepreneur. Mm. And getting to go to work with him when I was young and, and getting to see what he did and, and stuff like that, like that kind of wired me to just want to do stuff yeah. and get stuff done. And I don't know that the monetary success was ever something I was really interested in, but doing something that other people would say, wow, that's really, you know, like, that's pretty cool that you were yeah. able to get. What did you do What'd you, when you went to work with him? business that really built him was litigation support. Hmm. Uh, so, like, working with large law firms, doing initially copy shop, uh, initially doing copying and filing for right. those companies, and which moved into scanning and electronic data discovery. So seeing him kind of evolve through that. And, and he also actually owned a, a 
equestrian center in Manhattan for a while in, wait, in wait, Chelsea. Wait. So he does litigation support and equestrian. Yeah, center. that's what he was <laughs> because they're, yeah. they're just naturally tied together, right? He loved. I mean, he loved horses. He thought saw an opportunity uh-huh. um, to do something in the city because there was really no no great riding here, and he did it. It would have been super successful had he been able to really focus on it, but since the other business was really paying the bills, he ended up having to make a decision and yeah. chose. So wait, where was the equestrian center? Like Chelsea. now that we're hanging out in New York, I got to go. Yeah. Now I need to know where it was. It was uh, Pier 66, I think. Oh, it was on one of the piers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's kind of, because there's so few places in New York City yeah. that you could possibly do that. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was right under, I guess it's Basketball City. I don't know if it's still there. Yeah, I think it is, actually. Yeah. It was um, right underneath that. Ah. Uh, so yeah. what was his interest in horses in the first place? He just loved riding. I mean, it was something he got into, I think, I guess he got into it in his 30s mm. and loved it. And he rode in the city and he was like, you know. This sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do, you know, I could do better than this. It just yeah. sounds so weird to say he rode in the city. I know, exactly. <laughs> Who does that? So he like, was really, one of them. Really, really? <laughs> exactly. So he, you know, he saw that. He was like, all right, let's do this. And and going, that was really cool because getting to do that, like that was a consumer business where he had a lot of clients. I got to go to like camp with like his clients mm. in this, and I got to like make a lot of friends that way. The litigation support, it was just, you know, it's a factory essentially. Right. Yeah. So where were you actually living? Where'd you grow up? Oh, Long Island. Okay. Yeah. North Shore, um, Long Island. Whereabouts? Uh, Brookville, Muttontown. Yeah. Like uh, right by Oyster Bay. Not too far from me. I was Port Washington kid. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> North, right down North Shore, 25A. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're getting a taste for entrepreneurship and also seeing from your dad that you can you can start something from nothing multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, were you also getting a sense that it could be really hard? Yeah. I mean... He, my dad was all, always super stressed. I mean, running a business, and especially the type of businesses that he was running, specifically the litigation support. Oh, yeah, because like deadline 20, driven. Yeah, yeah. 24-7, 365, dealing with, you know, the largest law firms in the country. Lawyers can be kind of tough bunch sometimes. I've heard that. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you know, doing that for, geez, over 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, really, you, you saw, and, you know, we started, my dad was, when I was born, he was a CPA, and he took that leap. Uh, because one of his clients was in this business, was in the the um, copying business, mm. and they were going to actually try to franchise it. It didn't work out. He ended up going on his own. And seeing him really, you know, the only time I ever in my childhood up until I was you know, probably in high school ever saw my dad cry was when he first started that first business. You know, I remember him like, oh, my God, this isn't going to work. What did I do? You know, I have a two-year-old kid and another, you know, you, newborn who ended up being diagnosed with autism. I don't think we knew that at that point. So this oh is you who were two? Yeah. And you remember it. Yeah. It's like my only, one of my only memories from like when we were living in Merrick at that point. So in that house, that's like one of the very few things I remember. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting because so many people look at the glory side of being an entrepreneur who's made it. <laughs> so many people want to be an entrepreneur. So many yeah. people want to own restaurants, especially, which yeah. having a lot of experience yeah. in that industry models no. my mind. It's <laughs> so brutally hard. But I know. <laughs> It's amazing that uh, there is such great aspiration, and it's amazing. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, and I I, I love it, but it's it's also really there are windows that are brutally, brutally hard. That's and no matter it doesn't matter how successful you get, you know, as long as you continue to grow, you will always move through those windows, which are just brutal. Yep. it's just the nature of every single business. Doing it. One of the things that the guys at Unreasonable Institute talked about was kind of like this curve where it went. You start like really high, right? And like, oh my God, this is going to be great. I'm going to change right. the world. And you get 
super low at some point. And then right as soon as you get to that point where, oh my God, this is all going to fail. If you're lucky, it turns around. Yeah. And you keep working through it and, and you build progress and you go forward. But there's, I think, I mean, in my experience, there's always a super low at some point. I totally agree. I, I have, I mean, I've started a number of ventures and I've, I've helped people start many ventures. And I don't think I've seen a single one that hasn't been through the wild highs and also the really wild lows. Yeah. And it's not about failing. It's just, it's the nature of yeah. the ebb and flow of, of entrepreneurship. I mean, to a certain extent, I, I've actually seen people scale online through information in a way that can smooth that a bit, but it's still, you know, it's um, psychologically, it's it's grueling. But I mean, yeah. amazing upside, but still. Yeah, yeah it's... <laughs> no, and nobody talks about sort of like that part of it too, because yeah. it's funny, there's a, I, I read a study um, a couple of years ago where they interviewed a whole bunch of entrepreneurs and they basically, and really successful ones, and they said, had you known what it would take and what you would go through to get here before you done it. If somebody sat down and said, you, you will succeed, but this is what you're going to have to go through. Would you have done it? And like the vast majority were like, not a chance yeah, in hell. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so it's almost good in a, in a weird way. I'm like, oh, you yeah. should know the truth before you do it. But then in, in, based on that research, I'm kind of like, we should kind of know the truth, but not entirely yeah. because so many great things wouldn't get started. Exactly. And it's funny that because... I think that's something that every entrepreneur after they do one venture knows. But what I find super interesting is that a lot of entrepreneurs go into a second venture and a third and a fourth, knowing that, oh, this is going to be awful. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I have that in me and my wife would be like, yeah, you remember what it was yeah, like, exactly. right? You like, know, but like you really want to go back there, and because like, like you know, we kind of just like we should like we gloss over that yeah. because we just the highs are the ones that like they're they're so good. Yeah, you just kind of you're like oh, I'll deal with it. It won't be so bad. I know. Then you get there and you're like oh, it is that bad. <laughs> and there's this like eternal optimism where it's yeah. like you start like oh, I learned all these things. It won't be that bad this time. I, I'll get through this. I have all these partnerships that I can line up, and it'll be easy. And then you get through. It's like oh God, I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I fooled yeah. myself again. Right. Exactly. And even, <laughs> Because even when you have those, like the re- now you have more resources, more relationships, yeah. but then you set your expectations that much higher exactly. because of it. And you're like, ah. Oh. Yeah. So you're pressuring. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so anyway, you're growing up, uh, the kid of an entrepreneur, learning all sorts of stuff. And then, as, as, as you mentioned, you have a brother, little brother who's two years younger than you. Mm-hmm. And at some point, the family, I guess, starts to realize that something's a little different. Yeah. We knew that something was different with Andrew by the time he was probably two. I think he ended up getting the diagnosis of autism by the time he was three. So you say we knew. Did you know? Yeah, I mean, you could tell. So, I mean, innately you saw that something was different, right? I mean, Andrew would would cry a lot more. Andrew would be, you know, prone to like really sporadic behavior. Mm. And for me as a young child, and this is something that I've gone through a lot in like, like therapy and trying to understand, is that I kind of took on this persona of, I, I I can't make any trouble because Andrew, you know, my parents uh, are dealing with my brother and he's, you know, this is really hard. Uh, and even so before there was autism, you know, we knew what it was. We knew Andrew was a harder child to struggling. raise. Yeah. yeah. So, and I remember that for sure. Andrew always crying and me, always, you know, just standing there. So then you've got this thing in your mind saying, I've got to be the easy kid. Exactly. Uh, so. It's a lot of pressure at that age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And I think that, I mean, that's really, you know, I have worked a lot over the last year or so to be more cognizant of that because understanding that that is something that is part of who I am and being willing to speak up when I'm having trouble 
Yeah. You know, being willing to say, no, no, that's not okay. And I'm, I'm getting there. But, like, that was a real epiphany for me to understand. It's like, hey, like, you know, the reason that you always, like, shy away from that type of situation uh, when, when you need help, not when others need help, but when you need help, you always kind of just say, all right, well, I'll just eat it. Hmm. You know, that's not good, and that's where it comes from. So, nah. But, yeah, Andrew... So that was when we were still living in America at that point, and Andrew was, you know, we, we hadn't gotten the diagnosis. Went right as we were moving, my dad's business is starting to pick up, so we, we moved to the North Shore, and we moved into this big old fixer-upper in, uh, in Mutton Town. And my brother was really lucky to find uh, a teacher. At that point, she was uh, going through her Ph.D. program, and she was, um, her name's Nicole Wheatonbound, and she runs a school now called Nassau Suffolk Services for Autism in, mm. uh, in Comac. But she was one of the first people that we had ever found that did ABA therapy, which now is like the leading behavioral modification therapy. Yeah. And there's so much research around how the early intervention for children with autism is the most important thing you can do from that, like, 3 to 10. If they're in, if they're in intensive ABA therapy the outcomes for their lives are so much better. Uh, so Andrew, you know, when, when he was diagnosed, autism was, I think, 1 in 10,000 diagnosis. It was, very, it was a rare right. occurrence yeah. at that point. Was this like the 80s sometime? Yeah, he was born in 1990, so, yeah, okay. so it's like so early 90s, 90s right. yeah. Um, from like 85 to 95, it went from like 1 in 10,000 to like 1 in 1,000. Right. And now it's like 1 in 60 or something it's like that? 1 in 68. Wow. And the for boys, it's un, 1 in under 50. Wow. Well, so it's, it's, there's a lot of reasons for that. Yeah, but, and, and we're not going to go there yeah. because that's, that is an, a, yeah. a massive rabbit hole yeah. right now that's filled with conflict. Exactly. And, <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. So the real point I was just trying to make was that we got lucky with finding someone who, who was practicing the best style of behavioral modification early, and that's really influenced Andrew's life and made him be able to be a productive individual. Yeah. You know what's so interesting is that you keep saying, we, we got the diagnosis, we got really lucky. Rather than Andrew got the diagnosis and Andrew got really lucky. What's, what's that about? I mean, I don't know. I mean, we're, our family's always been super close. I've always wanted to look out for my brother, though I didn't have a really close relationship with him when I was young. Hard to have a relationship with, with someone who has that type of social communication disorder. But, I mean, I always felt like I was helping raising, raising Andrew and helping my parents cope with the situation my whole childhood. So... Mm-hmm. I guess I feel, and, and now with our with our business too, like it's it's complete like team effort. So I, I don't know. I took ownership over it. I guess. Yeah, it was. It's so powerful. But on the one hand, it's really powerful. On the other hand, again, as especially as a younger kid, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and, and I guess you know you're, you're in therapy now. So like, yeah. yeah, who isn't? Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, if you grow up around the New York City area, you're like some sort of freak if you're not in some chunk of your life. You're like, what the hell is wrong with you? Man? Get you're definitely a therapist up. now. You must be in denial. Because exactly. clearly everybody's in there. So he gets into this inter- intensive therapy, and probably using your language, the whole family is in this intensive therapy, and. uh and I guess he's really he really responds to the therapy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, forty plus hours a week for ten years. Wow. You know, you're going to get some results. So, yeah. What's uh, uh, so? Here's a curiosity. Also, your dad's an entrepreneur, which means he's the is at, at forty hours a week of private intensive therapy is 
got to cost a boatload of money. So yeah. over a hundred thousand right. dollars a year. So it, your dad's an entrepreneur, but he's also a CPA, meaning he could turn around, get a workaday paycheck, good six figure job in yep. the New York City area yep. where he doesn't have yep. to worry about anything. Mm-hmm. Yet he's kept being an entrepreneur, knowing that he also had this huge chunk of money that to spend. Did you ever have you ever had any conversations about this? With him? You know, no, I haven't. But that's interesting because. Um, it always has boggled my mind how he, because he, he always told me, because I, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur from the time I was young watching him. And he's like, Tom, whatever you do, do it before you have family, because you have no idea how hard that was. Yeah. And I mean, to one, just take that leap when you have two little kids, two normal, healthy little yeah, kids no, I know. is I, super. I did it when I had one and I was yeah. just like brutally hard. Exactly. <laughs> Way easier to do it when you have no strings attached. Right, yeah. And he did that, and then to find Andrew was diagnosed, I mean, I think the fact that the business was doing really well, there was, it never was a, a huge thought to him. But honestly, I, I don't know. I, it's a good conversation I should have with him. That's a, you know, it's an interesting... Yeah, I mean, because I'm so curious, because I think the, lot, the natural inclination for a lot of people who do have that kind of, yeah. that fallback licensing yeah. and, yep. and, you know, like education would be, oh, like... Let me just let me get the job that's going to make sure that I'm making yeah. X dollars, which you're going to cover. So yeah, I, I, if you have that conversation, that like, call me. I, I'm really yeah, curious. <laughs> that's about, an interesting thought. About, yeah. like, because I guarantee he had been thinking about it at yeah. some point. There's no oh, way that was not sure. his mind in some way. But yeah. So Andrew's going through therapy, and he's and he's really responding powerfully to it. And how's this sort of like? Because at the same time, so if you're talking like two to t- to tennis or something like that. Yeah. And then you also get really ill for six months, and then you go through this personal transformation and into your teen years become really athletic and social. Yeah. And, and so once you're sort of like moving up through high school and stuff like that, how does the relationship start to evolve between you and your brother? It really didn't, um, to be perfectly honest. It was, it's funny because like I, I, a lot of my friends have siblings similar age, and... They fought a lot, but they also were really close. You know, they played sports together, or they talked about girls together, and they had, like, good conversations, but they were at each other's throats a lot. With me and Andrew, we never fought, but we never really had a deep connection either. Mm. So it was really hard, um, and it was... I think it. I was always cognizant of how that was affecting me, like, when I was growing up, like, because I, I did struggle making friends when I was younger. Mm. And I was like, well, I live in this, like big house isolated don't really have any neighbors and and my brother I I don't really have a relationship with so this is I gotta go make some friends (laughs) but the cool thing about the business that that we're doing now that's changed that which has been great it's really you know we work together side by side and we have a relationship and though it's still different than a, a typical brother and you know younger brother would be you know, when we work together and I tell him to do something and he, he does it or he rolls his eyes at me and you know, mutters under his breath, that's like a typical younger brother would if his, bro- <laughs> if his older right. brother was, yeah. was telling him what to do. And that's good. And, you know, we'll go out and we'll have dinner sometimes and he, you know, is way more, he's way more social. Mm-hmm. And it's great. You know, it's, I have no relationship with Andrew at all today if it were not for what we were doing. So let's break it down. Let's actually share what you're, what you're up to and, and you know, to a large extent why, um, why I want to hang out and have this yeah. conversation. So at some point, um, so you go to college also, right? Yeah, I went to, yeah, I went to uh, Bentley University in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Right. And then you, you come out. So I guess let's just lay it yeah. out. What are you actually doing right now? So my family and I started a, a car wash 
to employ people with autism. Our, the name of our business is Rising Tide Car Wash. About 80% of our staff is on the autism spectrum, 35 employees with autism today. We're running one very successful car wash, and we're at the point where we're looking to do more locations and, and really help a lot more people with autism. All right, so now let's back into this. <laughs> Why a car wash? Where does this idea come from? Yeah. And what were you? What are you trying to do both for your brother and for yeah. people who are on the spectrum? Well, why a car wash? It started as kind of a novel idea, saying my dad saying, "Hey, Andrew could do this," and then we took a step back. I did a lot of research around, okay, what are people with autism good at, uh, generically speaking, mm-hmm. and what are some of the reasons why unemployment is a about 80 to 90% among people with autism. Was Andrew working before this? No, no. So what, what, was the, what were the families sort of like looking at in terms of his prospects for work? Yeah, so Andrew going to the, the school he was at, they did an amazing job working with him through his formative years, but as his school and as many schools that work with kids with autism, as they become adults, they don't really know what to do with them. And the way, since they're nonprofits, typical nonprofits, uh, they get their funding through state and grants and federal support. And there's actually a disincentive for them to find, for at least for Andrew, to find employment. For him, if they actually got him a real job and he was able to transition out of their program, mm-hmm. they'd have lost the funding and their budget have been messed up, would have been messed up for them. Oh, that's interesting. So that happens for all the, all the kids and all the young men and women that, that go to the school. And, you know, not that they're not capable. Andrew was a vo- was working as a volunteer bagger at Wallbaums and doing like clerical work for a nursing home and that type of stuff. So I mean, he was doing work. He was gaining work skills, but he was not learning what work really was because he wasn't being paid. It was like two hours, mm-hmm. and it didn't matter if he went or not because the the business that he was working for was essentially looking at his well, this is a charity thing that we do. Right. We're just like, we're doing something for him, not he's actually giving us value. Exactly. So, and that was essentially what we found as the primary reason why there's so much unemployment is that we look at autism fundamentally as a disability that requires sympathy instead of a potentially really valuable diversity. And in in some cases, in our case, a competitive advantage. So what we wanted to do was build a business that could employ Andrew, create a community for Andrew, and also tell the story of how capable people with autism could be to the general public. Mm. There are some great programs uh, that uh, Walgreens, uh, Best Buy, TIA, Craft Now, Pepsi, that they do, and they're, they're employing people with autism in their uh, distribution centers and stuff with great success. Same type of stories we have from personal, from, from like the way the guys grow mm. and the way that they become, you know, reach their potential. But their brands aren't built in a way that can tell that story, you know. Walgreens isn't going to be able to tell the story around how capable people with autism are when most of their employees with autism are working in the distribution centers, so away mm. from the communities. Right, are. they're not visible yeah. in any way. And also, that's not their exactly. brand story. Their, right, their brand story is it's a you know, very convenient product at a, right. at a competitive price. So we wanted to build a brand that was built on, you know, we're here because we're employing people with autism, and we do a really, really good job because we employ people with autism. Right. So it's not just your, and, and I guess very clear, this is not a charity. Yeah. Like we're a competitive business. In fact, we're the best at what we do. Exactly. And it's because of this thing that most people would think would make it the worst. <laughs> 100%. We're a for-profit business. We would not be nearly as good as we are if we were employing a typical staff. Hmm. My general manager came from the restaurant industry 
And he says that it's like a vacation working with this staff because they don't call out sick. They're never late for work. They do as I say. They're not on their cell phones all day. They're not giving me, you know, oh, my dog died for the second time in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, I just broke up with my boyfriend. Or I just broke up with my girlfriend. I can't come to work. That doesn't exist with these guys. They are so passionate about working and having a place to call their own and proving that they can be good at something. They are the best possible employees that you could ever get. And people with autism follow processes better than neurotypical people do over a long period of time. So is, is that the thing that really serves the, the business and like creates the competitive yeah. advantage? Yeah. So like we're really hyper-focused on process. That's what we consider our support system is that we employ a large percentage of our employees have autism and that everything that we do is super structured. Mm. And that allows us to serve our employees and also pr- produce the most consistent quality service out there because you know it's, you're getting the same product and service every time you come in. It's right. the same process. And they have many of them have a great eye for detail. So our you know, more extensive packages, they do a really phenomenal job. And then we have the story that really does resonate for a lot of people. Right. Uh, you know, so many people are touched by autism that when we tell that story, you, you know, we have consumers and, and clients leaving us crying. You know, hmm. so excited that this exists and, you know, willing to tell all their friends, what car wash has that? So, you know, there is really is a competitive advantage. This wash that we took over, so we, we bought an existing car wash for, okay. the, for this one. And it was, I mean, it was losing money hand over fist. They were washing like 2,700 cars a month, which is like very poor. And now we're washing over 10,000 cars. And, and that was, we did make you know, the best investments we could for to make it the best quality service we could. But what's really bringing people back and what's caused people to talk about us is that we have a great social mission and that we do a hell of a job and that everybody's friendly. Mm. Everybody's happy to be there. You come and you'll get your hand shaken three times and say, you know, thank you so much for your business and you're having a great day. Okay, so this is really interesting, though, because the common perception of somebody living with autism is that they're not going to look you in the eye, they're not going to shake your hand, they're not going to touch you, that yep. there, there's no social skill whatsoever and yep. no ability to, to read or connect. But you're saying something very different. And, and that is true of all of our employees when they start. Hmm. Every one of them you know, is, is either you know, is, is not comfortable in the situation. And we've had some of our best guys now, when they came to us, barely spoke slouched over just like you're saying wouldn't look you in the eye you know we're really afraid to talk to customers but the repetition and the structure that we put in place in the business so when you greet a customer you say the same thing every time hi welcome to rising tight car wash my name is tom the waiting area is over there we'll come get you when the car is ready and drilling that into them and that gives them that confidence well this is what i say and then they're going to say it a few hundred times in Mm -hmm. the first week that they work there and then they get confident, and then they want to talk to customers because they've, they've had that positive interaction. And that gives them the confidence to, to have more of a ad-libbed conversation. And as they grow, some of our employees that have been with us since the beginning, so for like a year and a half now, they can have all the customer interactions. They can essentially deal with any situation that comes up. And these are people that never wanted to talk, ever. You know, physically afraid to speak to people when they got to us. And our theory that because this is much different than what you typically think about autism, and this is much different than what we find when most of our guys when they come to us. 
is that the repetition and the structure gives them the confidence to keep moving forward inch by inch. And because they're producing a really high-quality service and because they're getting positive uh, interactions, they want to go further and they want to put themselves out there. And, and a lot of guys with autism are very much full throttle or no throttle at all. So once you get them moving, you can't shut them up. <laughs> so mm. now we're having the opposite problem. It's like, <laughs> hey, Mel, calm down, man. Like, you, you stick, to the, stick to the script. Just say that. You don't have to talk. You're not trying to have a whole conversation with the customer who's just trying to get the car washed and leave. Right. You know, so it's, now it's the other issue. But that's something that's been really powerful for us. Yeah. So how does it make you feel knowing that you've created something where you can you're directly responsible for seeing this change happen in the lives of so many people. I mean, it's awesome. My dad always says that running a car wash is a really tough business, right? There's mechanicals. There's lots of customers, so you inevitably have complaints and stuff. There's managing staff. There's all these different aspects of of the business that can be really challenging. But as soon as you go out on that floor and you talk to Melvin, Tyler, my brother, these guys, you know, you can't not be happy. It's like Disney World. You're like these, mm-hmm. they bring out like this type of happiness that is just—it's indescribable how awesome it is to work with them and how, you know, how proud we are to have done this. I mean, my best friend is our general manager, gentleman. Uh, his name's Kevin Walnick, and he, you know, he was the one who he came from the restaurant industry, and you know, you'd never get talent like that if it weren't for the mission, and that's all of our. All of our typical employees are there because of the social mission. They really genuinely are aligned with what we're trying to do. And, I mean, every business hopes for that alignment and that purpose. And it's really hard for me to describe because you have to meet them to say, wow, like, it's 110 degrees out, and these guys are smiling ear to ear, working hard, and, you know, pumped they have to work an eight-hour day tomorrow in the same heat. Hmm. You know, and who's, who does that? You know, nobody's um, like that. You know, it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome also that you get to see that evolution and confidence. Because, again, I, I guess that's one of those assumptions that everybody makes who's not directly exposed yeah. to an autistic community that, you know, well, that's not something that could really happen or that's not something that would be expressed in a way that you could read or yep. see. Yep. I mean, when we, were, when we started and we were doing our, our piloting, and, and just testing and seeing how this was going to work. We were told by some very high-level professionals that this would never work, that you know, people that had PhDs in, in autism behavior, no, like the, this, this will work. What happens if one of them has an episode? They're all... What's the reason? I mean, was that the reasoning? What happens if... Yeah, exactly. What happens if, they, if somebody has an episode, there, it's going to be a chain reaction, and everybody's going to have an episode. You know, they're not going to work good in teams together. This right. is not things that they're going to be good at. All right, so let me ask a question. Has anybody had a quotes an episode? Uh, no, not a single one in over total time from the time that we started piloting with people with autism to opening our first store to now operations has been a little over two years and worked with over 100 guys with autism. Not a single episode. And would the PhDs have said that's possible? No, no. They also wouldn't have said that it's possible that when the guys work together in a car, so we have a person on the driver's side and a person on the passenger side, that they would actually work faster when they're together versus when one of them's just working on the car mm. because the they're mirroring each other. Uh-huh. And that's something that a typical person you would assume, like there's a little competition there. Yeah. But 
what the thesis will is around people with autism that they don't have that social um you know capacity mm-hmm. but they do i mean you see consistently from somebody going from eight minutes when they're doing it when we're just practicing it's just them working on a car to as soon as they get to, to with a partner on the other side to six minutes doing the same exact process hmm. but having somebody where they're they're working with and people would have said that or people said that oh well they're not going like, to create relationships they're not going to have friends they're not going to really see it as a community and while some of them don't a lot of them do i mean you know we have employees that take three buses to work to get to work and still come on their off days because they want to hang out with their friends Mm. you know hang out in the break room and play on their nintendo ds while their friends are working just because this is their home Mm. you know it's great and and it's but it's stuff that you would never expect yeah I mean, in an interesting way, it sounds like it's. Um, I'm, I'm not. I, I'm familiar with um, the broad idea of the ABA therapy you mentioned. Um, yeah. It's actually a big article I just read about it. But certainly, I'm, I'm not familiar with any of the details. But it almost sounds like, in a way, like this is like you were saying. One of the big problems is, you know, like, well, what do you? Where do the kids go after these official educational programs? Yeah. And it's interesting because it sounds like, in a way, that this is not only gainful confidence building community building skill building employment it's also it's like can could you even i mean is there an argument to say that it's a it's a continue it's the next level of that type of therapy so i mean maybe i i've never really thought about it in those terms or or, but, or maybe even not that type of therapy but there's a there's a continuing therapeutic effect yeah there's what absolutely a continuing therapeutic effect and what we find in that there's a lot of research around because they're such high unemployment what does that do to a person with autism. So essentially for the first 22 years in most states, the first 22 years of a person with autism's life, they're funded by the government. You know, they get all these great services and they really show amazing growth. And we put so much work into them. There's so many amazing special education professionals that really dedicate their lives to this. And then they get to 22, the services end, they go home, they sit at home, play video games. And within months, much, much of it is undone. Because that isolation and that that there's they're not stimulated, there that regression happens very very quickly, and we see that you know with people that were just let's say you know somebody who we wanted to take on, but we just didn't have a spot for them. They come in an interview, and they're just graduating high school, and then they come back in the next year when we're when we're hiring again, and they're not the same person anymore. They're wow. you know they've regressed. They have more behaviors. They're developing um, you know tics or, or more severe OCD. That sucks, and, and that we see that over and over again. And with us, is they, since they come and they have this structure, they're continuing to grow. And we, so we really want to get guys, right as they're graduating high school, yeah. take them into the workforce. Many of our employees, people at my brother's level, that's in the middle of the spectrum, they have a home with us for a very long period of time. They can move up to the point where they can earn you know, $12 an hour plus tips and live independently. And then we have a lot of guys that are at the Asperger's or high-functioning autism level where this is really, truly just the first job. Just like, mm. you know, you or I worked at the supermarket. Yeah. You know, right. It was our first job, and we're teaching them what does it mean to be a good employee? How do you navigate those social dynamics? Giving them that self-confidence, and then hopefully they move on with that first reference to something that's more aligned with their skills or, or with the things that they want to do with their lives. So it's an important transitionary job for a lot of our guys and it's also a career for a significant portion of our employees and it's necessary for every person with autism whether they have the capability to work or not 
you know, the family needs to get them into some sort of program. To have them sit at home is, is, is really, really harmful. Mm. So knowing that you have so many of these kids who come to you and you just don't have space, yeah. knowing that you're an entrepreneur also, uh, I'm sure you're looking at the future and what you yeah. want to do and how you want to grow, not only grow the business, but also serve more people yeah. before they yeah. sit home for a year. Totally. Uh, so we have a couple of different thoughts of that one. We want to grow the car wash business. We want to open up more locations. We're looking for, as we speak, real estate in, in the South Florida region to, to try to do a few more stores. And after we get that, hopefully we can do a larger expansion. But also a lot of what we're doing, since we are so focused on this process, mm-hmm. the systems of how do you recruit, how do you assess, how do you train and ongoingly support an employee with autism, stuff that we're doing at a level that a lot of you know, people don't really know, aren't really doing. We're kind of at the right. front lines of that, and we want to share that information. So we're hoping to you know, build some partnerships with, with um, either some, some advocacy organizations or some PhDs that can essentially take what we're doing, turn it into like a framework, and share it. And that would be something that would be great. That Our thesis is that any business that can be structured, there's a subset of people with autism that will be your best employee. Hmm. And also our thesis is that virtually every business can be structured, and it's better for if that business is built in a step-by-step process, it's better for everybody. Yeah. So with those two ideas together, people with autism are going to be, there's a, a group of people with autism that are going to be your best employee for a lot of jobs that you have in your business. And we want to essentially give small business people and, and even corporations the ability to harness that. Not only have a great employee, but then also have a story to tell that will resonate with your customer base. Yeah, I mean, that's so powerful. What's funny is he said, you know, we hope to potentially partner with uh, other organizations or PhDs, yeah. which in my, immediately in my mind is like, wait a minute, isn't the PhD is a guy who like yeah. said this is impossible yeah. to do Yeah, well, you have to show them different. Because like my head goes to, okay, so you can not only build a really strong, you know, retail business that yeah. actually employs a ton of people with autism, but, you know, you can build a consulting arm that basically says, you know, like, let me just any like anyone who has a business yeah. who wants to function better. Yeah. Let's we'll bring you in and show you how to systematize and process chunks of your business, yeah. and then hire and and train and like create the environment for people with autism to yeah. come into your business yeah. and let your business flourish, and then let them flourish in a really powerful way. Yeah. Like there's, is like you said, there's probably when you actually deconstruct it, almost no business that isn't. Yeah, doesn't have some functionality in it, yeah. which is capable of, of process and systemization. Exactly. So. Yeah, and, and that's what we we'd love to be able to do. That obviously we're you know we're a small team, so we're yeah. focusing on on making sure we pay the bills and making sure right. that we can grow the business in a way that's you know financially responsible. Also, but I mean that this consulting side of it is something we'd love to do. We've seen the great thing about being you know a, a, the funny thing actually about a car wash is that it really is without a lot of people recognizing it, kind of like a staple of a community. Mm. Everybody in the community goes to the same car wash right, for like the most part. At least once a month or something right. like that. You're yeah. going there. Right. It's very community-centric. And so we've had been able to like build relationships with, with other local business people who see how great our employees are and want to do it. Mm. So like the local deli next door or the local gym or, or local... Um, yogurt shop hey i'd love to employ people with autism how would i do that and at this point the best we can do is say hey just come and and watch and i can kind of give you some pointers but it's not formalized right so it would be really great to be able to formalize that and let people 
Yeah, but but it's I mean the the beautiful thing is like it's this incredible proof of concept. Whereas like yeah. the biggest question everyone had, like if you showed up and said, Hey, listen, you know, the people with autism are great for this type of work. Here we're gonna train you how to run the systems, everything, they'd be like, Yeah, I don't know. But but being able to actually look and say, Oh wait, like this works. Yeah. You know, I guess one of the big questions would still a lot of people would still be like, Well, it works in their business, but I'm still not sold on will it work in my business? Yep. But at least it's this it's a big you know, like body of proof in the yeah. right direction. Yeah. We have a living laboratory, essentially. Yeah. And I think as we grow, we'll look at not only growing in the car wash industry, but also growing into other industries as well to prove that not only does it work here, but it probably works in you know the quick service restaurant industry also. It probably works in things like locksmithing. It probably works mm. in, in stuff that can be really step-by-step step and that's built out that way at a large scale, and then at every business, like we said, there's parts of it that can be systematized. Yeah. Uh, so there's- I mean, even in like massive business, like Amazon, you yeah. know, like warehousing, picking and packing, shipping, yeah. stuff like that, you know, that's- Totally, <laughs> totally, I mean- Seems like those businesses would just be like tailor-made for it. Yeah, companies like SAP are, have made a commitment to employing a lot of people with autism. Mm. Uh, there's a great company that's actually New York-based called Ultra Testing, and they're working with high-functioning individuals with autism and software testing. And it's great. And they're working with big clients. And that because these are the best people for that job. It's, it's tedious work. For a typical person, it's something that's not a desirable job function. But for people with autism love it because there is that structure, that repetitive nature, that almost therapeutic in its kind of a, you know, function. It's really cool. I think there's the way I liken this is essentially to the sustainability movement pre-1995, where the only thing we thought about when we thought about environmental responsibility was an ethical debate of should a business should operate ethically, mm-hmm. right? So we shouldn't dump in the Amazon rainforest. But there was no business case to it. So when companies like 7th Generation, people like Paul Hawken, Emery, and Hunter Lovins came and proved that, hey, if, if you focus on environmental sustainability, you'll have you know, a more efficient process, you'll, you'll have better product innovation, and you'll have a, a stickier client base because people care about that stuff. When that light bulb turned on, well, now it's a huge deal for businesses to fo- think about environmental sustainability. Right. And it's the same thing with autism. Right now, companies employ people with autism because it's an ethical thing. We think we should. It's a good thing to do. Hmm. Not because it's a competitive advantage, even though it is. So what we want to be able to do is be that company that really does something special and, and is a really competitive business because of this and hopefully impact other companies to do the same type of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like the ultimate blend of doing well and doing good simultaneously. And, and we haven't talked about it a whole lot, and it feels a little bit weird to talk about it, but we should throw it on the table, which is from a marketing standpoint also. Yeah. The same way that you're showing, you know, like when green was first sort of like a thing, all yeah. these huge corporations started piling on saying green, green, green. Yeah. Now everybody's green, so it's not a point of distinction anymore. Right. But especially with the data that you share, which, you know, one in 68 kids is diagnosed with autism, one in 50 boys, that means the number of families that are going to be touched by yep. this on a very personal level yep. in the United States alone is massive. Yep. And then from a, a marketing and just, you know, from, from that standpoint, you're going to have a, a huge demographic yep. graphic of people who, who really want to support businesses that are supporting kids like theirs. Exactly. And we see that all day, every day. <laughs> You know, people coming in with autism license plates being like, oh, I drove, you know, 10 miles to get here. Mm. Normally, somebody won't drive more than two or three miles to get to a car wash. 
and you know, we haven't spent anything on advertising because it's all been generated through word of mouth and through our earned media and getting in you know right. news and stuff. And that's something that I think that that I mean that we can show at a small scale right now. But there's we're just scratching the surface of how how does that how can that possibly work? How can you activate so many people that care and love for people with autism to vote with their wallets? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean we're really excited. We got to we're doing an engagement with Siegel and Gale. Uh, they we won a. Um, their CSR fellowship for 2014, so they're going to do a full-on engagement with us and hopefully help us mine that data and, and really t- figure out how to tell that story in a way where we can really activate customers around. This is your your child's future, mm-hmm. and we need a really diverse ecosystem of opportunities to serve the entire autism population. And but you know, by you demanding that companies look at this, they'll do it. Yeah. So, what's this whole experience done to you? Um, it's toughened me up. I could tell you that mm-hmm. much. You know, running a a business is not easy. Like we said, there are there are highs and lows. In a car wash that I think most people think it's a relatively easy business. There's so many aspects of it that are really tough. So making sure all the equipment is running well, making sure that you're staffed properly, making sure that your your you know your menus and your services are the right services. It's every bit of business kind of rolled into one, and and there are their highs and lows there. So it's you know taught me how to do that, right. and it's taught me that, and and this is something that I never thought I'd be passionate about because it's not necessarily my personality, but it's something that I really care deeply about now. But that if you want to do something good, you have to do something well, and in order to do business well. You have to be organized. You have to have systems. You know, we have so many social entrepreneurs out there that want to scale, that have these brilliant ideas, but don't put the time into building systems with integrity that can actually do the type of scaling that they're talking about. And I mean, that is the most important thing as you grow a business is making sure you have things. You're not just flying by the seat of your pants. You're building stuff that, that works. And that's been tested, and that can grow, and can go from one to ten to a hundred. The business side of this is I've really taken the most from this family side and the social side. I mean, it's I can't even imagine what my family life was like before. I can't even like put myself back into that place where you know I wasn't working with my brother every day. I wasn't seeing my mom and dad every day. It's funny for me to think about where I'd be if you know, I'd probably be li- living in Manhattan working in a consultancy or working on Wall Street, you know, never seeing my family, not having any relationship with my brother. It's crazy to think about that inflection point where I went from, I'm going to take a corporate job to, no, I'm going to do this with my dad. It's been wild. What, What was that inflection point, by the way? So I graduated college. I was and still am very passionate about environmental sustainability. I wanted to work at a like impact investing firm or a sustainability oriented consultancy. I got some good job offers, but what I did while I was doing that was I was talking to people in those fields. And what I was finding was that nobody really felt fulfilled in those fields. Hmm. Even though they're like, oh well we're changing, you know, the way business is done, at the end of the day, it's the entrepreneurs that actually change the way business is done because the consultant can only tell the CEO so much, but it's up to the CEO to say, okay, we're going to put this into action. And when then, you know, 
So I started to see that, and, and then I, I started talking with social entrepreneurs, and they felt super fulfilled, definitely really challenging, but they felt like they were really, like they were in control and they were able to make the difference that they set out to. And at that point, my dad and I was like, were like, you know, why are you going to go do this type of job? You know, go you know, work for a big company and get grinded out in Manhattan. <laughs> let's do this. Let's, let's build this business together. And that was the fall of 2011. And then we started our research process, and the rest was kind of history from there. Hmm. Well, I guess your relationship with your brother has changed in a pretty profound way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we had very little of a relationship before. And now we have, I mean, a much deeper relationship. We see each other you know, virtually every day. We work side by side. He's a, uh, you know, he'll crack jokes and, you know, we'll actually have real conversations and we never had that before. So it's as any sibling who is affected by autism knows that it's really hard to have any type of real relationship. And, you know, this is our opportunity to do that. So it's, you know, it's such a blessing. Yeah. I mean, knowing now the depth of relationship that's possible between you and your brother imagining back like had you at that point of inflection taken a different path and potentially never known that this was possible for life it's pretty powerful yeah i did an exercise a while ago about kind of that death exercise well if i was going to die in a year where would i go and what would i do and as i think everybody's initial reaction is i'm going to get the hell out of here and i'm going to go travel i'm going to see all these things but then as i continue to do that exercise i i really you know, I was like, I'd, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Even if I had six months left, I'd still be on the floor at the car wash making it work because I need to be. And it's really important. It's important to my family. It's important to my friends. It's important to the whole autism community. And there's no place I'd rather be. Mm, that's awesome. So, uh, so the name of this is, is Good Life Project. So I yeah. offer that term out to you, to live a good life. What does that mean to you? In my mind, it's when you're actions align with your values so for me my values are being able to make a difference in the world being able to do something of purpose and being able to really help a lot of people with autism live the lives that they want to live and have meaning and show that they're capable of a lot and I get to do that every day so that to me is it's not easy but it's a good life. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I really enjoyed that conversation. If you found it valuable as well, would so appreciate if you would just head on over to iTunes, take a couple of seconds, and let us know. Share, um, share a review or a rating. Always honest. And if you found this episode, the conversation, valuable, and you think other people, maybe friends or family, would enjoy it and benefit from it, go ahead and share it with them as well. And as always, if you want to know what's going on with us at Good Life Project, then head over to goodlifeproject.com. Check it out. We're uh, enrolling our annual Camp GLP. Uh, summer camp for world shakers makers and entrepreneurs right now really really awesome stuff going on um, in august of this year and that's it for this week i'm jonathan fields signing off for good life project